With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants. For a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Prison. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. We are not cattle radio. Yeah, good evening, everybody, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from, hey, home of the Walking Dead, Sonoya, Georgia. We have been put on the map, which kind of sucks because I wanted to live in a small town with not a bunch of people, and we're getting a bunch of people migrating in here. But, hey, that works. Everybody likes a little bit of the uh, the country life, I guess. So anyway, we are live and joining me uh, tonight, um, not unexpectedly, but um, didn't want to broadcast his appearance, will be Josh Wiley um, of the Journalistic Revolution and uh, One Step Beyond Me and the future homesteader up there in, in Michigan trying to live the free life. How dare you? What do you think? This is a free country. So uh, on the show tonight, we're going to talk about a little bit of riots in Baltimore and actually some solidarity popping up all across the country, whether it's in Philadelphia, New York. Um, people are starting to take notice. Um, the black community is not taking notice. They have uh, noticed this for a very, very long time. It's just actually become um, part of the mainstream now. Wait a minute. Are you telling me the agents of the state might actually kill people for unruly purposes? Get out of here. That only happens in the movies. Nah, not when some guy goes to grab a taser and then runs away and some dude just jacks half a clip into him. That never happens. Oh, that was for a traffic stop. I think it was an, um, a child support the guy didn't pay. So once again, the idea of uh, the state being the uh, intermediary is showing why um, the founding fathers actually had some good sentiments. Although they were aristocrats, we will admit that, um, and slave owners, so we're not saying that these were all good people, but they came from the most oppressive, um, barbaric empire you could ever imagine and decided, hey, there are a couple of firewalls that we could put in here. You guys are probably never going to keep this, but we're going to give you an idea of what it would be like to be free, like you know, being able to protect yourselves and your person and your effects and you know, not be spied on and you know, that kind of stuff. Which is all gone. So, hooray! And I got a new, uh, I got a new clip on my soundboard here. I'm very excited about it. So I, um, so what would we call? Hold on a second. Let me pull up my guest here. Um, as I'm sitting here bogarting the mic, <laughs> Josh Wiley, are you there, sir? I am. It's uh, wonderful to be on with you this evening, Jake. How you doing? I'm doing well. So before we get going, why don't you go ahead and run your backup recording? Because we know how it works. Sometime in the internet community um every time you come on the show we have a um recording issue so i'm one step ahead of you on that front man 
you know what? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So we uh, <laughs> we st- uh, just briefly. I started out for those of you that tune in, and and we have new people tune in every week, and I I do appreciate that. I, I'm not as um, vigilant as I have been in the past, mainly because I have a um, and I'm not making excuses. I have a real job now and a, and a toddler, so that makes life a little bit difficult. And so I don't, I'm not able to dedicate my time to the show like I would like to. But now I'm starting to get to the point where the toddler is able to do stuff on her own, and I'm getting a little bit more free time so that um, actually produces better quality medium for everyone else that tunes in. So I started out as a, um, let's see, I was awakened to the paradigm of fake money about six years ago. Uh, branched off from that into understanding what uh, libertarianism was. always thought I was a libertarian because I thought that uh, Democrats and Republicans were both silly. Like, I never understood why I could, um, you know, not be for abortion but be for, you know, equal rights. So I never understood that um, and how I had to fit into a little box. So I started doing some reading and researching, and I stumbled onto Alex Jones, and that awoke awoken me to geopolitics, which then pushed me into other ideas and spectrums like reading Brzezinski's work and reading how we actually got here through propaganda. Yes, that's an actual book title. You guys should probably check it out. And uh, Public Relations, which is another book title that you should all probably check out as well. And so once you get into this idea in this, in this, um, in this world that we run into – uh, and you see that it's all noise for the most part. The media is there to distract you. It is all one giant um, cluster. Well, we'll just call it a clusterfuck. And then we had this thing called Liberty way back when. It was about 200 years ago. We had like a little semblance of it, like a little, just like a little piece. It was really nice. We had a lot of growth. And then I looked into what happened, why we had no growth, and that was because we involved the central bank. And so a central bank comes in, and who runs a central bank? And so I started asking questions, and then we get to the point where we are today, which would be best described by these little phrases right here. System of government characterized by extreme dictatorship. Oh, I see. It's uh, fascism. Fascism. Wonderful. Yes, we are in a fascistic state, everyone. And now you're getting to reap the benefits with guys in black masks and uniforms that look like stormtroopers shooting rubber bullets at people. And yes, Baltimore, I do realize you had peaceful protests for a couple of days. And then you figured out that the only way that people actually paid attention is if you start breaking stuff. And that's kind of the protesters' fault, but it's also kind of the media's fault. But then again, why are we relying on the media? So that is my 30-second synopsis of where I've come from, why I'm here now. And I'm here to give you a different side of the story from a a non-biased perspective. Look, we're just trying to figure out what we're doing on this big flying rock out in the middle of space anyway. And I'm still trying to figure out why we got all these weapons that could blow our existence to kingdom come. And we've got Hadron Colliders that could actually uh, develop black holes and suck us all into uh, Never Never Land. But you know what? It's really important right now, Josh. I'm I'm shocked that you actually came on board tonight because you should be watching the NFL draft like a real American right now. Oh, see, I got through about seven people, and uh, then my attention was drawn towards the the Kansas City Royals Detroit Tigers series starting off tonight, and uh, then I realized that there were actually important things going on in the world other than watching grown men play uh, children's sports games. So here I am. 
<laughs> All right, so we got a lot to get into. Diesel D, we uh, we see you on the line. We'll get to you here in a minute. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling in, and feel free to call into the show, everyone. Uh, dial in number is six zero two seven five three nineteen sixteen, and we just lost him. So you can uh, you can give us a buzz back in here in a few minutes if you want. Uh, we're gonna Maybe be you talk- scared him away, and he was just uh, calling in to listen. Listen, I mean, come on. You, you can't take calls in the first few minutes, and you're just kind of getting my rhythm and flow here. I mean, I haven't done a show in over a week and a half. Give me a little bit of slack here. You know what? I should have actually I should have taken his call because I would, I would, I'm interested to see what everybody calls in about, and it's probably about Jade Helm. So let's go. Uh, where do you want to cover first, man? Do you want to cover the riots in Baltimore? Got plenty of clips on that. It's some good stuff. Let's start there. So I haven't played any of these clips for you because I wanted to kind you're of – leading support. the witness, Jake. You know what? I really should stop doing that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm I'm terrible about that when it comes to um, when it comes to interviews. I, I've done many interviews. I've gotten really good about just asking one simple question and then shutting up. And there, I kind of screwed it up. So let's um, let's get a little background here. Let's talk about um, the Baltimore crime rate and why all of this stuff is a little bit. Um, well, of course, Windows cannot open my file right now. Hold on a second. Sorry, I just I saved this in a funky format. So, ladies and gentlemen, bear with me. We are having technical difficulties as usual. This is in user error, by the way, or ID10T error for any of those keeping score at home that are my fellow nerds. So, um, we are having some... Oh, now, nice. Now my scan pops up. That's great. Sorry. All right, we're going to skip that one. So um, we'll come back to that in a second. So, Josh, let's talk about what we were talking about right before we jumped on the show. Let's give these people some space, man. Let's just give mm. them a little space. Space to destroy, Jake? Is that what, is that what you're uh, getting at here? We also gave those who wished to destroy space to do that as well. Yes, you got to give people space to destroy. So... This is kind of par for the course. If you've ever followed any kind of riot in the United States over the past, uh, I don't know, five years, it's the um, it's the mantra that we've got to um, we got to let these people just kind of blow off some steam. And then I got a really good uh, clip that I want to play for you here in a second. So, what do you think of that, Josh? I mean, what what does that mean? Give these people some space to destroy. Oh my goodness! Uh, I, every time I hear that phrase, I guess I'm just uh, harkened back to uh, I guess a, 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 a simpler time, you know, in the 1960s. But specifically, you know, the the late mid to late 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the the 67 Detroit race riots come to mind, given my uh, geographical location currently. Um, I guess the, these this was an age in which uh, the 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 fomenting of destruction and the the kind of uh acceleration of it over the course of i guess a couple of weeks uh during those race riots before uh, uh George Romney uh that name should sound familiar to people uh called in the national guard and started just shooting people ad hoc uh these were these were organic uh riots in the truest of sense uh in in the truest sense it started uh, as an as a essentially a protest at, at a speakeasy uh, in a Detroit basement, in which uh, depending on whose side you're listening to, uh, the one that I kind of, kind of fall down on goes as such uh, a, a couple of Detroit officers. Sorry, I got the file to play in the background as as you were speaking. Continue, man. 
Oh, don't sweat it. Well, uh, a couple of Detroit officers came into a, a blind pig uh, in Detroit uh, that was essentially serving liquor past 2 a.m. and decided to uh, rough up uh, an individual of color. And uh, whatever happened in that basement that night, no one will really know. All we know is that uh, those officers left that night and uh, two African-American men were shot to death, uh, hmm. which, sparked, which sparked one of the, uh, the largest race riots in American history. Uh, and now that we fast forward to, uh, today, uh, a very similar scenario, uh, you know, of course, Jake, we've both seen the wire, uh, series, uh, that, mm-hmm. that kind of displays the, the sheer police brutality of most, most American cities today, but Baltimore in particular, which is an incredibly corrupt city. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, I, I guess it's, uh, it, it's hard to say, and I guess we're going to get into this a little bit more this evening, but whether or not uh, these are organic protests as they were in the 60s or if they've been uh, kind of fomented. Because as I'm sure you know, Jake, uh, there are th- these stories happen in the black community, I would say, on a weekly basis uh, yep. across this country. So you really have to ask the question, why are these particular stories, uh, you know, last year in Ferguson, now this one in Baltimore, why are these specific stories now getting national coverage when they've been happening for essentially almost 100 years in this country? I would agree. Now here, now that I've got the, this is actually a pretty good segue. So I've got the other clip uploaded here. So let's talk about the um, the history of Baltimore to an extent and, and why um, why we could kind of draw some conclusions to this information we're about to be given for why these are um, why these riots are all happening and demanding peace my but message no- that this is our city that we have to live here so we will have order and uh, we will have peace this is the image they want more americans to see a black mother pulling her teenage son from the crowd of street thugs after spotting the young man on live tv as we entered this city you could smell the fire in the air and all night long it was the sound of fire alarms and sirens one after another one after another police had- which is actually better than what it was in ferguson it was the sound of tear gas and gunshots so yeah whatever having so much trouble keeping up with this the calls for peace not being heated so far Thanks to Steve for that one. We're bringing our senior justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, right now. And Pierre, we know now the National Guard coming into place, hoping for calm today. But there has been some criticism of Baltimore officials for not calling out the police in force fast enough. Yes, good morning, George. There will be some Monday morning quarterbacking on whether they had enough officers out on patrol given Freddie Gray's funeral yesterday. Tensions were going to be high despite the calls for peace. Did the police move quickly enough to stop those stores from being looted? But they were clearly in a difficult position once people started throwing rocks and bricks. It was a dicey situation, George. Okay, so I'm going to cut it right there, and I'm going to go to this article, and then, Josh, I want to get your take. So this came out today. And Josh, you and I are going to elaborate on this because this is what happens. Maryland sheriff traveled to Baltimore to help law enforcement. This was from the Baltimore CBS, Baltimore. And this is funny how the media always acts surprised when this kind of stuff happens. Was uh, going to stop the, the riots. He told the fan to stun. And when officers alerted him of their orders to stand down. Hmm. Imagine that. Orders to stand down. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I plan to go to Baltimore and all that. I watched the events unfold on Saturday night. 
like we all did, and I was very concerned about what I saw and the lack of response on Saturday night. He said, and this is where it gets kind of creepy because I don't like a police or a sheriff ever talking like this because it sounds like he's ready to go to combat, and it really creeps me out. I immediately rallied up the troops, and we we made sure our MRAP was prepared and ready. We were assigned to assign to protect the Baltimore Police Headquarters to East Fayette Street, blah, 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 and we maintained our post all night until we were relieved. But what shocked him, he said the most, is the police told him not to confront and accost the rioters. Wow, I'm going to just leave it there. So, Josh, imagine that. The government tells people to stand down so rioters can get a little bit out of control, and then you have the justification for a couple of things. What's your what's your takeaway? I've got my thoughts. What's your takeaway from that? Well, Jake, uh, I think that this is both on on the tip of, on the tip of both of our tongues, so I'm just going to come out and say it. This seems to be almost uh, uh, a deliberately fomented pretext for some kind of martial law experiment. Uh, and yeah, because uh, it's not mar- listen, Josh, it's not martial law when you have troops on the street and when you have curfews at ten o'clock where nobody can go out. That's not martial law. I mean, and when all this stuff is shut down and when you got people going out to protest after the curfew is set and they get thrown into Humvees uh, by a bunch of guys in, in army fatigues. That's not martial law. I want you to understand that. Okay, so continue. <laughs> well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, at the very least, a police state. Um, but to to, to <laughs> the credit of the... I'm totally facetious by that, uh, by that uh, I'm aware. <laughs> but to the, uh, to, to the credit of the protesters, uh, it seems that this is kind of the plan to goad these people into violent actions and uh, this happened to a certain extent over the weekend, uh, and then cooler heads have seemed to prevail since then, uh, yeah. and and they've kind of been the establishment of, has kind of been uh, uh, you know stymied in that respect in terms of getting these uh, these state police MRAPs out onto the street, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we know what the real cause of all this stuff is, Josh. Wait, the, real, the real cause of all of the heartaches and all the riots. And all the physical animosity towards the police is obviously the veterans. We talk about training. We talk about having officers. I was talking to a city councilman here last week who was saying, Brooke, these people have to live in the communities. There's no emotional or there's a lack of emotional investment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these young people, I mean, I've been talking about this so much. A lot of these young people, and I love our nation's veterans, but some of them are coming back from war. Mm -hmm. They don't know the communities, and they're ready to do battle. Yeah, they they, they definitely need training. Um, better training. So the veterans, Josh, are coming home to do battle. How many times in the last year and a half have you and I said that this looks like the federal government trying to goad people in order to maintain the moral authority or the moral high ground and to start shooting at state officers? Uh, Jade Helm 15. Uh, yeah. I, we, we're more to- all the Jade Helm nonsense, too, here in a minute. More times than I can count, Jake, unfortunately. And uh, I guess, uh, to a certain extent, that clip is correct. Uh, there are veterans in this country who are looking uh, to, to confront the establishment in a meaningful way. Uh, they're veterans of the drug war, I would say. Um, but yep. I guess that's, uh, that's a conflict that's currently not recognized by the state. At least uh, one side of that conflict is not recognized by the state. No, and then you look at you look at the way that, um, that Baltimore is kind of digressed and it was really well done at you know to we'll have to do a breakdown on this like a series breakdown and we'll do a round table so 
if anybody wants to be part of the roundtable discussion, I'll only take the, um, the first five people that contact me. Um, we're going to do a roundtable discussion about The Wire and what it really does portray to the American people, all the different nuances to it, because that's really art imitating life. And Josh, you were, you and I have talked many times about the people that actually made that documentary series or um, well, almost documentary series about what their relationship was you know, to Baltimore. And it's very, very telling that when you have when you have a drug war that has failed, and what the drug war does is it gives people in an impoverished community kind of a way out. You know, when I interviewed Freeway Ricky Ross, that's what he talked about. He didn't see it as pushing drugs and hurting people. He saw it as a way out of the hood. And and people, when you're put into a situation that you're financially, you know, strapped, you have no way to go, you have no upward mobility – I, the people, the people of, uh, I guess, privilege, uh, to use a leftist term, the people of privilege that just say go out and get a job, well, that's kind of impossible because these guys are not really given a fair shake. They're not really given good education. They're, they're being taught slave training in, in school through the Prussian system of education, and then they're thrust into a, a society where they have to live in the black market, and then you create a, a counterbalance to the black market by creating a militarized police force that um, that has this idea that you know we're fighting the war on drugs, and it gives the police even when you say things like that, using the terminology a war on drugs, and then you give police militarized equipment, militarized uniforms. Now you're really kind of playing into that um, playing into that word game, and as you and I know, Josh, grammar has a lot to do with how humans perceive information and how humans perceive reality you're telling me man you start calling something a war people are going to start treating it like one bunny colvin season three i mean but you you bring up an excellent point as well in, in terms of you know i guess the the job market and and trying to get these people what would be uh you know deemed as quote unquote good uh good tax paying uh positions within society uh yeah, what sell an aircraft carrier and give some people in baltimore like some cash i guess what but oh man yeah, I, I mean, if the if the military-industrial complex could uh, could get kids at 12 like the drug game does, I'm sure they'd be doing it by now. Um, un- unfortunately for them, we do have, uh, you know, I guess uh, some rules as to when you can sign up to be a soldier um, and go murder people for the Anglo-American establishment. But there, there's an excellent example of that, Jake. You know, Dookie, Duquan Williams in Season yep. 5 of The Wire, uh, where he spends a good two episodes essentially trying to get gainful employment because he doesn't want to be on the streets. And right. everywhere he goes, it, that's what people don't understand. There, we have minimum employment age laws in this country, for the most part, that are set at 16. And when the drug game is getting these kids at you know, 10, 12, sometimes as young as 8 years old, if you're going to be a hopper, if you're going to be a drug runner you know, uh, as a corner boy, uh, yeah. th- then you're, you're doing it at such a young age that even the kids who want to get jobs they go to these these you know uh, local shoe uh, stores or a drug store, and they say, "Sorry, kid, we can't hire you because you're 14, and we have minimum uh, minimum age requirements. Uh, so uh, sorry, but get back on that corner and start." That's what one of the employees deliberately says to this kid: "Get back on that corner, sling for a couple more years, and then come back and see us later." Right. Pathetic. So- so society isn't as cut and dry as the mainstream media would like to make it seem, and the media in general, and just people that aren't really thinking. You have to think past your nose in order to come to these conclusions, and that we have serious problems with inner cities. And the reason that we have serious problems with inner cities 
is because the money does not go to things that stimulate an economy and stimulate society. It goes to things like the drug war. It goes to things like the military-industrial complex. It goes to things like the security-industrial complex like we have now. And so now we're running into a whole new idea of what society and what an economy should be. And just like just just a local headline today, Josh, and in in uh, a local investigative journalist found that the head of this uh, organization here in Georgia, and I don't want to name names because it hasn't all been vetted out yet, but the head of this organization in Georgia who was friends. In, imagine this. This is just this is your atypical, you know, uh, good old boy handshake scenario. She's friends with the departing governor. She gets this position in high office. She makes about $160,000 a year. She brings in eight other people from outside to be you know, part of her little cabinet or whatever, and they all get paid $130,000 a year. She starts using government, you know, government um, uh, credit cards to fly back and forth to these events, and she starts using a, um, a uh, government car uh, even on the weekends. So it's this idea that Oh, I, I've made it. I'm in government. When that's the exact opposite of what this country was founded on. You literally took America, and we have flipped it on our heads where working for the government is the safest job that you can ever have because it's never going to go broke because the Federal Reserve is always going to bail it out. And it just becomes this this unbelievably large bubble that's going to burst eventually. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and doom and gloom you and say that it's going to happen tomorrow or five years now from ten years from now. But we have to do something to just step back and say, wait, okay, this is the result. This is obviously the effect. What's the cause of all this stuff? And the cause of a lot of it has to do with the fact that our priorities are extremely jacked up. Hey, we're an empire. Look at every empire throughout history. Whether it's the whether it's the German Empire through the Nazis, that's the most recent one that we can actually put a finger on and say, well, what happened to them? Well, they ran out of money, they ran out of raw materials, you know, they ran out of a, a lot of different things. But why did that happen? Well, it was because that you were siphoning off every resource that you could to go towards war, and now yeah. America has got it perfected into the fact that they don't let you see the war that goes on, they don't let you see the kids dying. They don't let you see the massacres. They don't let you see the murders. They don't let you see the UN go in and wipe out a whole village for you know a environmental whatever you know safe zone or uh, easement or whatever the hell they want to call it. It's all protected, and you get to watch all this other distractionary shit while all of your money. I think it's what is it? Forty cents on the dollar goes to the military now. So every something like that. Yeah. So. So there's your problem, people. We're going oh. around the world with, I mean, granted, you know, aircraft carriers and stuff like that's cool. I mean, if you if you want to be living on the streets, <laughs> we might we might have to think of a better way to spend our money. And, and the first thing to do would be revamping the education system, and not through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that just wants to sell damn, you know, computers and and software to people that doesn't even work. <laughs> I mean, we've got to come back and we've got to really start looking at the trivium. We've really got to start looking at you know, doing things as a community and then building from there because now what we're doing is we're all just kind of sitting around waiting for government to do something, and, and it's just it's never going to happen. So go yeah, ahead, or, the Car- or, or the Carnegie Endowment, or the Bill, M- or yeah, you already said Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, or the Ford Foundation, you know, all of these kind of Rockefeller Foundation. 
uh, is another. I mean, to, speaking to what you're saying earlier, though, you know, it's like uh, don't let that revolving door hit you on the way out, you know. Um, but Jake, I think a, a lot of the a lot of the problem stems from the fact that we have uh, uh, essentially a sedated populace that, for the most part, refuses to accept that America is an empire, despite the fact that Karl Rove can stand on national television and blatantly tell people that, yeah, we're an empire now, and when we act, we we create our own reality. And you're just going to watch whatever reality we create for you, and you're going to be complacent because you're dumb, because we've dumbed you down through these foundation-funded educational systems and the Prussian system of education that these things are, are founded on. You know, oh, it's, uh, oh, wait, 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 before everybody calls us conspiracy theorists, la- ladies and gentlemen, um, that's all in the congressional record, by the way. Uh, indeed it is. Uh, if people are interested, you should look up something called the Reese Commission. <laughs> or the Reese Committee, excuse me. Uh, Norman Dodd was the chief Norman investigator. Dodd. Yes, sir. No, yeah, you okay. can look up. Uh, G. Edward Griffin had an interview with Norman Dodd right before he died. Uh, very interesting uh, uh, set of uh, interviews. If if people are actually interested in that. Um, but just to kind of put a put a cap on this uh, on this Baltimore issue, Jake. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the the saddest part is you know there's there's so many issues here. There's the drug war. There's the militarization of the the police. There's the fact that uh, you know a, a good segment of Americans who don't yet experience uh, what it, what the the black people and Hispanic communities of Baltimore are now experiencing, but will experience in due time due to crippling poverty. Right, as you're forced into yep. the black market as well. Um, yep. It's that so much of Black America. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, rightfully, but Malcolm X did did a, his life story and the story of the Black Panthers, the real Black Panthers, uh, kind of outlines this uh, this saga in which you know Malcolm X you know raved against the white establishment for so many years, and then came to came to see uh, quite correctly that it's not really all white people. Most mm-hmm. white people are largely kind of ignorant in in their uh, in their wealth and their their hubris. Right. Um, but it's this small cadre of, of elites throughout that aren't specifically American, that are internationalists, who truly are uh, neo-eugenists uh, and have it out for the black community and truly do want to depopulate this earth uh, and have no uh, no warm place in their heart for black America. Uh, and it's this cadre of, of eugenists, uh, again, from places like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who spread their uh, their genetically modified food and vaccines throughout Africa and India for love, I'm sure, Jake. Right. That that, that we can that but we that we could unite against, you know. Yeah, I know. Right. But but it would it would do it would do the world. But specifically this country so much good for, you know, the quote unquote right wing patriot movement. And, you know, the black activists of today, despite the fact that we see very different kind of visions of social organization or lack thereof for the future, to unite mm-hmm. on these core issues and say, look, here's the problem right here. It's this it's this core of neo-elite that have fostered themselves throughout the ages that are trying to kill all of us in various ways, shapes and forms, trying to bleed all of us out through, through our food supply, through our medicine, through our lack of industrialization in this country. Baltimore being an excellent exemp- example of a deindustrialized city uh, and really come together on these issues. But we're kept so divided, Jake, uh, that I know, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir on this one. But it, it really is sad to watch it happen. Well, we got new listeners every week, and people probably don't hear this a lot. I mean, you may hear it in like broken format through Alex Jones's ranting and ravings and selling you uh, nutraceuticals that you can basically make for yourself. But uh, 
Oh, it's very, very true. But um, the the idea that we're coming to here, like like exactly what you said, and we can go back to the wire and look at the way that, you know, they were talking about the harbor. Remember, the whole season two was about the deindustrialization of Baltimore, about how they were going to remove this harbor and they were going to move all these other shipping exports to some other place. And that's what we're seeing. It's globalism. They don't. These people don't give a fuck about you, everybody. And I'm sorry to be profane, but guess what? It's time to be profane because, as you can see, they are starting to do what they do in every nation state around the world. It is a playbook. It, I mean, read Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I mean, read read the damn Rockefeller Foundation's papers. Holy cow. You'll yeah, see Prospects exactly. for a New America is an excellent one on that front. I mean, Jesus, people, they line it out for you, but it's an academic, you know, BS. So you got to kind of read between the lines, but it's like, oh my God, look at these jokers! You know, it's like the 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 white paper that I that I read not too long ago that talked about the surveillance state that I've brought up like a, a thousand times on here, just because it's the one that pops out. And it's like, well, here are the four different options, and the very first one is the one that they're going for. It's like, well, it could end up as a totalitarian police state where we spy on you and track everything you do and monitor you and and grab you with black uniforms and stuff like that. That's one scenario. And here's the other, and the other three are all like nice and rosy and peachy keen. And then when you see that stuff and you look and you, like you said, Josh, you read the policy papers, not just listen to the talking heads, you go, holy crap. And the people that are probably writing these policy papers, Josh, do you think that they are as in tune to the overall scenario, or do you think that they're just writing it uh, as an as an academic and you know fulfilling uh, or checking off one of their boxes? Oh, of of course it's the latter, Jake. You know, we, the Council on Foreign Relations is largely just a group of talking heads that that kind of uh, you know syndicate the, the worst of the worst, a, a literal cacistocracy within society. When you mm-hmm. have inner inner core groups like the Trilateral Commission uh, or or the Pilgrim Society, which you know people don't know nearly enough about, these are the people that are kind of you know the hidden hand uh, directing. Uh, some of these ideas and cherry picking the very worst of them, yeah, just, much like transhumanism, Jake, where, where the hard sell, of course, is, oh, we're going to genetically engineer humanity to be cancer and disease free. You're all going to get your free Iron Man suit and we're going to conquer mortality. And of course, the other side of that is the people saying, well, hold on a second. Well, maybe this technology could actually be used to, you know, track human beings everywhere they go and monitor their thoughts and, and, you know, kind of create this neo-feudal technocracy. Um, right. But those people, of course, are conspiracy theorists, Jake, and they deserve no credence within society. No, and then what happens is you have people that really do care about humanity, like Stephen Hawking and, and other top you know, physicists come out and go, hey, 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 this AI stuff that you guys are building, they're probably going to kill us all. So we should probably really sit down and think about it. But then what happens is you get the combine, and you know this with the Manhattan Project. You get the combine going with all different little facets, and nobody knows what anybody else is doing. That's what's so funny is that Americans are – and I, I'm going to call you out, Americans. If you can read and research what happened during the Manhattan Project, you had 200,000 people working on a freaking bomb that nobody knew was going to happen. Nobody. They're like, well, I'm just working on this trinket over here. Well, I mean, there's my widget. I built it. Okay, well, send it off. Like, listen, a conspiracy can occur on a mass scale, and you have to come to grips with that. You have to come to grips with the fact that the media is there to distract you. You have to come to grips with there that popular culture is there to put you in a little box 
and just pat you on the head and say everything's gonna be all fun. everything's gonna be okay. Meanwhile, they pull a knife out behind your back and just keep patting you on the head. Every, just, everything's just gonna be it's gonna be fine. I promise you. I I know I know finances are scary. I know the Fed said that they were gonna raise interest rates and they didn't, and everybody freaked out on Wall Street. But the American public didn't care, so they were just like, whatever. And then over in Europe, they're like, well, we got negative interest rates. That's fine. Yeah, Negative interest rates marks the end of an economy, people. If you study any economics, the fact that your money gets penalized by keeping it in a bank is disastrous. Disastrous. But anyway, Disaster I, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean – we're in a buku world of trouble here, people, and that's that's the reason there's MRAPs everywhere. That's the reason that people are being militized, militarized everywhere is because the financial backers of the world understand what's coming. And throughout the crisis, as we always say, and throughout this major crisis, they're going to have this great referendum and either introduce us to the SDR or some kind of you know quasi gold, you know precious metal backed you know world currency nonsense. That everybody's going to either have to take a chip or some kind of implant or or something. Maybe they won't roll out the implants that fast because that's too like Matrix like. But you know, I, there's probably millions of people in America that would line up and and get the chip tomorrow. So who knows? Well, well but Jake, I mean, uh, we uh, actually covered this in kind of a haphazard manner. Uh, oh, a before, few shows. Before the chip topics, I want to close out um, the the Baltimore stuff with with a quote from Mr. Michael Moore, Josh, that's going to make you go insane. All right, you ready? Michael Moore on Twitter today said, here's my demand. I want every African-American currently incarcerated for drug crimes or nonviolent offenses to be released from prison today. Okay, so you're halfway there. How about everyone incarcerated for nonviolent crimes, dumbass? Okay, so here's the one that's really good, Josh. You're going to love this one. Next demand, disarm the police. We have a quarter billion Second Amendment guns in our homes for protection will survive until the right cops are hired. I could not believe that he actually wrote that. That's a, quite shocking, to be honest. Like, really? Give, hold on. You just said that we can fend for ourselves? No. That's a neoliberal. What happened? Did I just, like, end up on Mars all of a sudden? So, anyway, man, that, that's my last take on Baltimore. So, um, where, well, where did well, you pick up after that? Oh, well, geez, uh, that, that quote actually brought to mind uh, another quote that, that surfaced over the past week. Have you seen uh, the, the vice president of the Orioles, uh, his statement over the past couple days? Yeah, he talked about it being a police state. The guy got a little ballsy. I don't. Not, I, not, not only did he talk about it being a police state, but he says his, his major concern is, quote, an American political elite, which have shipped middle class and working class jobs away from Baltimore and cities and towns around the U.S. to third world dictatorships like China and others, plunged tens of millions of good, hardworking Americans into economic devastation, and then followed that action around the nation by diminishing every American civil rights protections in order to control an unfairly impoverished population living in an ever-declining standard of living at, and suffering at the butt of an ever more militarized and aggressive surveillance state. Uh, but Jake, he also capped it off by He's saying, again, this is the... But, uh, come on, dude. <laughs> uh, you're telling me, it's but this is also... Like from the 70s, and we could just freaking push him off to the side. He's a conspiracy theorist. It's fine. Uh, yeah, good old... It's a, it was a wonderful way to combat those uh, critics, critics of the Warren Commission report, and evidently it still works today. But he, he wrapped it up. American public doesn't read, to quote somebody. Uh, good old Alan Dulles. Gotta love him. 
but he, he capped it off by saying, Jake, and this is the owner of, of a baseball team. He says, the innocent working families of all backgrounds whose lives and dreams have been cut short by excessive violence, surveillance, and other abuses of the Bill of Rights government pay the true price, an ultimate price, one that far exceeds the importance of any kid's game played tonight or ever at Camden Yards. And what are we always saying, Jake? You know, you can be a fan of sports, but ultimately, these are grown-ass men playing Play children's kids. games. Yep, that's it, man. All right, so uh, Diesel D, you can uh, call back in if you want. We do have another caller on the line right here, so uh, we're going to go to him and get his take on all this stuff. Caller, you are on the air. Welcome. Hello, how you doing? Hey, doing well, man. What's your uh, what's your name, and uh, what did you want to talk about? Uh, my name's Matt. I uh, just wanted to say, uh, great show. I agree a lot with uh, what you're saying. Um, I guess I had uh, one quick, I know you were just wrapping up on Baltimore, but one quick uh, curiosity on that, and then mm-hmm. one larger point I was hoping to get your opinion on. Yeah, go ahead. Um, in, regards, in regards to Baltimore, uh, I'm wondering if, I found myself, I'm not sure if it's a little bit impressed with the amount of bodies that it seems like, you know, the Black Lives Matter campaign, and I know it's, you know, fairly decentralized, but the amount of bodies that they've been able to put in the street and the, you know, disruptive nature, even with, you know, a lot of negative and, uh, you know, um, you know, propagandized media coverage. But I was, I'm a little bit impressed. It seems like it hit a little bit, uh under the radar, I know what you said about the larger points of as far as motorization, but um, yeah, that was uh, you know get your get y'all's opinions on that. But um, then secondly, I was going to go to a much larger point. But as far as mm-hmm. economic independence, um, your thoughts on Bitcoin blockchain and facilitating um, and facilitating facilitating that independence and kind of taking some power away from the Federal Reserve and national That's government. It. That's a really good point. We'll uh, we'll address both of those. Well, I think what was interesting, I'm going to throw you back on mute here, man. We'll pull you back up if you want to make some points here in a second. I think what was really interesting is when you had the first few days of the riots, or what, not the riots, but you've had the first couple of days of protests, it was tens of thousands of people in Baltimore peacefully protesting. So as you're – and you know, to your point – you know, when when the cameras turned, it's like, oh my God, look at all these people. Well, yeah, they already had tens of thousands of people there that were that were doing their thing peacefully and trying to get attention that way. And then once that kind of died down a little bit, then you had what seems to be to me, Josh, and I don't know about you, I don't know where you kind of stand on this. It seems to be provocateurs again coming in from outside the city, coming in to stir up. You know, and then once you see people, it's kind of the mob mentality takes over. Once some person, you know, um, throws a throws a rock through a window, then somebody else is going to grab one, and then and now you're off to the races. And that person that initiated the the actual violence or the actual ruckus can can just kind of slip through the cracks and and disappear. We've seen this at the um, at the G20 or was it the G8 that was in Seattle. Where there were provocateur police. Oh, imagine that. Wardens of the state trying to foment stuff to, to go arrest people for protesting a, a gigantic criminal organization uh, called the G8 or the G20, whichever one it was. I can't remember it this time. It was in Vancouver, I believe, and I'm pretty sure it was the G20. Oh, man. All right. Well, so I got half of it right. <laughs> but but yeah, I thought they had the uh, the mass roundup in Seattle as well. Now it's a moot point at this point. Gosh, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. Go ahead. 
Oh, don't sweat it. Yeah, I, w- I was actually looking into this earlier today, and, uh, you know, because, of course, you can you can never really discount kind of agents provocateur being being shipped in from, from elsewhere. Uh, if arrest statistics are to be, uh, you know, any uh, indicator of this, of the 150-plus uh, arrests that took place in Baltimore over the past week, only three of them were people who weren't from uh, from Baltimore zip codes. Um, but of course, if these were agents provocateur deliberately brought in by the state, of course, they probably wouldn't be arrested. So I don't know uh, if that's really an accurate measure. Uh, to, to the caller's point about the, the Black Lives Matter campaign kind of uh, beginning to reach critical mass, uh, n- I guess no matter what um, what the political backdrop of that campaign reaching that mass is at this point, uh, you know, whether it's kind of, again, fomented by the state or if it's kind of these more organic events. Uh, I think it, it, it at least draws attention to uh, essentially an issue that that most Americans, specifically white Americans, just would either close their eyes to or, or wouldn't pay attention to at all. So at the very least, I, I can hope that, you know, maybe people will take a second look at this and say, you know, maybe I don't expect them to kind of dig deeper into the kind of neo-eugenics of this all, um, but maybe just to see uh, the, the, the utter criminal police brutality that goes on, not just within our inner cities, but, but all across this country, um, and, and just hope that, you know, at the end of the day, this doesn't become uh, sort of a, a race war that, that this is being kind of fomented into. Well, um, I'm going to have to um, make you recite it again, Josh. What was the uh, Schultz Nietzsche quote again about the Russians? Oh, my goodness. That's a that's a very long quote, uh, you know, it, but essentially to paraphrase the, the mm-hmm. one about, uh, uh, you know, not loving liberty enough to, to stand up and defend it physically. No, the other one where he talked about that um, they came for the Jews and I didn't care because I wasn't Jewish. And then. Oh, they... that's. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I forget. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. Uh... Nazi Germany, not not yep. Solzhenitsyn. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. but the, yeah, they they came for the Catholics, and I did not stand up for I was not Catholic, and then they came for the Jews, and I did not stand up because I was not a Jew, and then they came for the Gypsies, and I did not stand up for I was not a Gypsy, and then they came for me, and and no one was left to speak for me. Um, but 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 Jake, uh, the the caller also mentioned Bitcoin and blockchain technologies, which uh, I know both of us have uh, kind of. Uh, put dipped our feet in those waters, and we both kind of have interesting opinions on those. So uh, to, to that point, what, what do you have to say? Well, I think that anything uh, other than the Federal Reserve note, anything that takes a little bit of power away from the central bankers and the central control is a good idea. Now, the, the idea that it was sold upon us where it's this fully encrypted um, – way to remove ourselves from from the state and not have uh, intervention or oversight through the the banking cartel um, was, once again, a a great idea, but it wasn't exactly what it was cracked up to be because uh, you and I both know, Josh, that any level of encryption, the NSA can go ahead and and crack that. So it's not – I mean the theory there is, is great. The idea of it being public – listen, I've said this before. If we were going to go to a uh, a society where everybody wore damn cameras and everything was encrypted and only when you were put on trial was that data unencrypted, I would be all for that because now nothing can be hidden. There is absolutely nothing that can be hidden, so I would be for that. It would be weird at first, but I think that that would be a great way to combat a whole bunch of different corruption that goes on, a whole bunch of different uh, crimes that go unsolved. 
So would I be for a, a total surveillance state? Uh, to an extent, absolutely to an extent. If everything was encrypted and everything was yeah, – listen, I'm just going to go full technical on you here. This is in an ideal society, right? This is We're not talking about the society we live in now where we have people that are just – not not um not the brightest and it's you know sorry guys you went through a public school yeah so just that's a big preface right there so if we lived in a society that was where everybody understood that that there's a possibility that anything that you do can be brought up against you at some point in time i think that we would all be on our our better behavior but not in the way that we have it now where everything is forced on us and you go to this you go to this mentality of picking up your cell phone and going oh my god is it listening to me i don't know like at least then we would all know yeah i mean it's being recorded but it's never going to be released unless somebody gets there and there and there and cracks it or whatever so the idea of bitcoin the long-winded answer the idea and the philosophy in bitcoin I, I agree with anything that takes the power away from the the, the banking cartel and, and gives us some idea of individual liberty and whether it's over your, your persons or effects or your, your property, which in this case would be your money. I would be all for that. Josh? Yeah, I, I think that ultimately blockchain technology specifically can, can offer humanity and, and not just crypto anarchists, but people on kind of the, the currently within the, the mainstream nexus. It can offer humanity so many opportunities for freedom. Uh, but when I look at NSA, whistle, NSA whistleblowers like Bill Binney, who come out and say, well, to be honest, the NSA was freaked out about PGP for about eight or ten years, and then they cracked the crap out of it, and they didn't tell anyone that they cracked the crap out of it because they want people continuing to use it. Uh, AES-256, another very popular encryption protocol, uh, another one that NSA loves people using uh, because they've already essentially got it in their coffers. Uh, so I think that, you know, a lot of the Bitcoin community is naive to think that SHA-256 does not also kind of fall under their umbrella. Uh, now, that would be fine if we had a, a Bitcoin community uh, that, that is, is more akin to what it was in the beginning, where it's very willing to change the protocol based on uh, the changing times. Um, but good. what we see instead is a Bitcoin foundation, which for the most part controls the code, the code base. Uh, a, a large central mining conglomerate, uh, you know, the computers that, that kind of verify the entirety of the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, who are so kind of uh, induced by the, the profit motives that they don't really want to rock the boat on that front either. Um, so no one's really to really willing to fix the inherent problems uh, that, that are, uh, you know, inherent within the Bitcoin protocol. And there are other altcoins uh, that have kind of tried to tried to fix those issues. Um, but they're kind of thrust by, they're thrown up by the wayside, largely because there's a lot of venture capital in Bitcoin now. Uh, a lot of it from uh, from groups that are not our friends. Uh, one of them, of course, uh, being Blythe Masters, Jake, mm -hmm. um, uh, the the queen of um, oh what was it the uh, um, uh, in the 1990s it worked for J P Morgan. She was the woman who uh, headed the commodities fixing desk at J P Morgan, fixing the price of gold and silver. <laughs> Since 2011, but she also brought us, um, oh, not high-frequency trading algorithms. What what are they? Um, flash trades? Uh, not not flash trades either. It's another uh, financial algorithm uh, or, or financial acronym that that is escaping me right now. Uh, der not derivatives. Uh, 
Oh man, I'm I'm drawing. Do you guys a blank see well. why I left the technical discussion to Josh? Because all, all the after he said PGP, I I I kind of went blank. I think I blacked out a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry, but but yeah, the, these because we do have to have this discussion for people that um for people that are, that are really tied into the idea of it because it is great. It's just the you know, we kind of run into the same – isn't it kind of the same problem, Josh? I mean, what you were just describing is kind of the same problem that we had with central banking to begin with. You know, yeah. it's, it's a great idea to let these people start printing money, which is in essence what you're doing when you're mining Bitcoin is you're basically printing money or currency. And then they're like, well, we don't want to – yeah, we don't want to do that because then it's going to cost us some money or some time. And every time we take away time, it's going to be costing us some money. So – it, yeah, Bitcoin strikes me as Jake, and, and if you disagree with this, feel free to chime in. It's almost as like a decentralized greenback or a decentralized colonial script. No, which is a, yeah, which is a wonderful idea if you're willing to evolve it over time. But again, we have a, a Bitcoin foundation and a bunch of venture capitalists uh, who are you know come from pretty shady and seedy backgrounds, some of whom tied to the very globalist institutions that Bitcoin claims to fight. Uh, that that really are are not in a position to change anything at the moment. So to I guess you know put put a cap on it. A wonderful idea up to this point. Poor execution. Yeah, and I also would say proceed with caution because in a 2001 um, financial paper that J.P. Morgan Chase actually released a a document that was very very similar to the architecture of Bitcoin when they were thinking about doing encrypted currencies. Credit so, default swaps. Sorry, Jake. That's those live masters brought the world. Oh, aren't those good though? Those yeah. Are and, and now, now she's got about uh, seven million dollars sunk into her Bitcoin startup. So that's great. So yeah. Well, I mean, let me see this. So, uh, so caller, did we depress you enough? Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a lot of great thoughts. Uh, it definitely is. Um, you know, specifically, uh, just coming from my space. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been my I I haven't been in the Bitcoin space too long, but from a developer perspective, I was looking at the code base and I've I've seen the the potential to kind of just insert small units of Bitcoin into the blockchain, but in doing so, managing other aspects, almost like a decentralized database application. And I was hoping that maybe we could redefine how value was used. And so it wasn't so much the value of the Bitcoin that could be used, but the public ledger aspect of the blockchain. And I know that doesn't, you know, uh, contradict. No, that's yeah, very good. So, so caller, are you referring to, to things like, uh, you know, the potential for, for smart contracts that currently exactly. exist in the blockchain? Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent, man. I mean, the, the future for that is so bright and uh, I just hope we don't screw it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. It seems that a lot of that is happening right down the road as far as Bitcore in Atlanta. And I know they've, you know, received a lot of funding as well. But with the open source nature and the, the platforms that they're developing, it seems like it's it's a better time than ever for that development to take place. Well, I think that we're going to have to have alternatives um, in, in every way, shape, or form moving forward because we all know that the dollar is a ticking time bomb. Just from the way that it's positioned, from the way that all the bets are hedged, and and it just looks like the only thing backing up the dollar right now is uh, is American military might, and eventually that's gonna that's gonna go away as well, because maybe yeah whatever <laughs> I mean that's the it's the scariest thing in the world because yeah we're the world reserve currency but if our currency crashes then what 
you know, then we have this big financial mm-hmm. reset, and then what happens? Then then we're back to the days, and this is why Josh and I always get kind of scared when people start wanting a gold-backed currency. Well, yeah, how much gold do you have, asswipe? I don't have a bunch. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of people. I know George Soros has got a ton. I know that, like, uh, large institutions that have a bunch. China's got a bunch. Russia does. But I don't. So... I mean, that doesn't leave a lot of room for for the little guy. And I think to your point, caller, this is a anything anything uh, as an alternative to the Fed. I, I'm all I'm all for. And the idea of smart contracts is is absolutely fabulous because then there's no discrepancies, and then you get to cut out the uh, the banking institution altogether, which you know takes their five percent or whatever for the transaction, uh, just for being the the intermediary or the holder of the uh, of the contract, so I think that that's a that's a very good way to go. So, caller, I, I hate to take up any more of your valuable time, but given that you're more of a developer, while we have you on the line here, uh, have you investigated sure. uh, side chains at all, and uh, how does that work into kind of the vision of the future that that you see, if at all? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, you know, I, again, I've, I'm I'm wading into it. You know, it's a it it seems as though it's a very you know. Uh, Deep sea, but uh, I've, I've looked into Ethereum and Ripple, which, um, to my knowledge, are side chains. And yeah, it seems it's a lot to wrap my head around, but uh, the potential seems incredible. I like developing on the original uh, Bitcoin code; seems a little bit more agile. But it does seem to be that side chains are the future. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Uh, and uh, as a quick suggestion, I would uh, I would check out Dash if you get the chance. Uh, interesting coin. Uh, don't don't know exactly what its future is, but but it's based on the Bitcoin Core protocol, uh, and it, it kind of has an interesting mechanism of of obfuscating your transactions on the blockchain. Should you desire to do so, it's not uh, kind of enabled by default. But in my mind, it kind of takes out. Uh, you know, one of the core flaws of the Bitcoin protocol in that, you know, its greatest strength and its greatest weakness sort of that, that everything is always open, you know? Okay, definitely. I appreciate that. And uh, Josh, didn't you bring up, um, didn't you bring that up on a show like over a year ago? Uh, yeah, back then I believe it was called Dark Coin still. It was called Dark Coin. Okay, yeah. yeah. My lord. So you just pay attention, people. We're going to drop some knowledge on you every once in a while. And typically it's at the end of the show, so we're going to make you listen the whole time. <laughs> so uh, we got about uh, two more minutes, uh, Josh. Any final thoughts for everybody? We did... Oh, wait, 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 wait. we got to cover Jade Helm. All right, so let me, let me explain to everybody before you freak out what Jade Helm is. Uh, Jade Helm is just your average run-of-the-mill exercise that is done by the U.S. military and they usually do it on private property outside in, like, Alaska for people like the Airborne Rangers. They train in Alaska and, like, up in Montana. So they're doing it in an environment, once again, look where they train, and that's what they're looking to fight. So if they're doing it in an environment like Texas, if they're doing it in Arizona, where do you think that they're – or in Southern California, where do you think that they're going to be? They are not going to be in suburban America. So this idea that we're going to have this martial law and it's acclimation for getting troops, uh, for getting people acclimated to troops on the street is is a little bit silly. And I hate to say that like that because I thought Alex Jones for a long time and I thought he had uh, a lot of good info until I realized that um, that he thinks about these strategies 
uh, about 20 years too soon. So I really don't think that, that the government is coming to get us, especially with the technology of the Internet and the amount of people that have been sharing the information about Jade Helm. And don't listen to the girl, Josh, because she's going to tell us we got like 60 seconds left or whatever. But um, we're going to run over. Because when I was looking at all the different um, documentation that I could find on Jade Helm, what struck me the most was this article that came out of the Houston Chronicle. And, yeah, it's probably a little bit of a whitewash. And, yeah, they're going to have some, some other, you know, verbiage in there to calm people down. But at the end of the day, when you look at what this exercise is and what the people talking about how these exercises have been public for, for um, over a year when talking about doing this. So the fact that Alex Jones picked it up, uh, ran through all this stuff, um, and decides that this is going to be another um, another operation to get, you, uh, to get you to buy stuff and to get you to listen to him is, um, is really kind of it's kind of silly. Josh, are you still there? Did we put you on hold or what? Oh, no, no, I'm, no, no. I'm still with you, buddy. With you, buddy. Okay, great. Um, so, hold on. I, I just wanted to find one more. I got kind of, I got kind of knocked off by this. Uh, okay, so here, here is the important part of the article that Alex Jones omits, where he talks about they're going to be interacting with the public. They're going to be in plain clothes. Here's what he says. Special ops have worked for years and trained in post op oh, excuse me, trained off post for years and go out of their way to find folks uh as role players out in the economy, he said after twenty one years of army intelligence. He says they have a scenario they'll be following and they'll interact with these role players as if they are in another country. So, Alex, they're not going around poking people in downtown Texas and going, Hey man, hey man, do you know where the bombs are? Do you know where do you know where this is? I mean, it's it's really really sad, and and I really hate that they're making such a big hubbub over this thing. But hey, if if we get overthrown and they declare martial law, then then you guys can you know say I told you so. But I just I just don't I just see it as another way for the military to spend a bunch of money and and to you know fly around like they always do. My dad used to talk to me about training missions that they would do when he was in the Air Force for years. So this is nothing new under the sun. It's just it's been made a lot more public now than it probably ever should have been. But, you know, whatever. Age of the Internet, everyone. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly. But just to kind of, I guess, put a put an end on this discussion as well. Because um, the, the thing that you hear cited so often within alternative media circles is, well, you know, they, they, they go live with these drills, like the Boston bombing and 9-11 and, and that's why we need to be vigilant about Jade Helms. Yeah. Okay, so they made nine eleven public, and they made the Boston bombing public. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. To to which you uh, you know a sane person would respond, well, this Jade Helm document it was has essentially been you know in the public record uh, since its inception. You know, Alex Jones essentially and Infowars uh, pulled it off of uh, a public database, public military database. It was available to the public if you wanted to go and see that this was going on. When you right. look at something like the Able Danger document trail post 9-11, that mm -hmm. took years to assemble through the work of brave researchers and whistleblowers because none of that information was in the public domain. Researchers had to piece it together themselves 
at which point the government finally came out and said, well, yeah, there was this Able Danger program, and, and, and yeah, maybe uh, it had something to do with uh, uh, these drills that kind of look like exactly what was going on in the skies that day over New York. But, you know, never mind that, because uh, it's not important, because it's not in the 9-11 Commission report. But, I, again, the, the point being, uh, if this truly were a martial law takeover with 1,455 troops for five states, uh, they probably wouldn't take or tell you about it ahead of time, and they'd probably use uh, a few more people than uh, just under 1,500. And odds are they would probably use foreign troops as well. Indeed. So, there you go. So everybody, sleep well in Texas. Um, the government's not coming to get you yet, but uh, <laughs> if they crash the currency, um, all bets are off. So that's it for the show. Thanks to the caller. Um, sorry for uh, Diesel D that you weren't able to get in um, and you didn't call back. So evidently we said something you didn't like. But uh, that's it for the show. Josh, any parting words for everybody after we wrapped up? That was a great wrap-up on Jade Helm. That was all of a uh, minute and 30 seconds. Gets Indeed. No, great. it was a great show tonight, uh, Jake, and, uh, and, and great caller, too. I, uh, we should, uh, I wish we had more of those, you know, more callers like that. I actually uh, do know that caller, so I will schedule him a time for us to come on, and we will nerd out for everybody. So um, Awesome. Yeah, that'll be some big nerd time. We will lose all of our subscribers, but guess what? We are not about making money. We're not about funding an operation. We're not about selling you any kind of colloidal silver or anything you can make in your house. We are here to give you a different side of the story, and by God, we might actually be here to promote you to get involved in your local community. Read books, and there's another one. Read books. How about this? Gather information for yourself. Decipher it. Chew it up. Formulate your own opinion, and then someday you may be right. Thanks to my guest, Josh Wiley. Thanks to the caller, Matt, for calling in. Uh, thanks again for listening to We Are Not Cattle Radio. Peace, love, and liberty, everyone. Take it easy. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.